right. I am back with another live stream. Incredibly great guest this week. I, I imagine he was cringing to hear that kind of little poppy music that was playing as part of the intro, but uh, he's such a gentleman. I'm sure he will, will overlook my transgression in music. The reason I bring it up is because his latest book, Punk XL, is a continuation of his punk CX concepts and we're going to talk about punk and what's punk got to do with it got to do with it and he is none other than adrian swinsco one of the nice guys in the customer experience world we have a lot of them really we're blessed with a lot of colleagues who are incredible he is one of the wonderful ones particularly on the other side of the pond in the uk uh if you are somebody who needs somebody to guide you along your cx journey he is certainly that and a workshop presenter keynoter uh, and author, and he's here today. He's on the bus, the CX bus. I got my CX bus driver hat. I never know where to put the, oh, there it is. There's my <laughs> CX bus driver hat. We're on the journey. Hey, Adrian, how are you? I'm very well, Joseph. Uh, quick question, do I get to drive? Yeah, well, you absolutely get to Can drive. I speak the horn? Yeah, if you speak to my wife, she would recommend that you drive. Uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, just sight unseen, you've got the, <laughs> got the nod. All right, let's talk about you. Um, why not, since you're here? Uh, tell me this journey. How, does, how did you find yourself calling yourself customer experience person uh, in life? Oh, crumbs. So, um, so I've always been interested in sort of, you know, customer-related stuff, let's say. And I've always... Um, I've been involved in sort of either building things or developing things. I've always had like customer value and employee value at their heart. Whether you know, and I did that for the largest kind of time for four organizations. And then probably since about 2004, I started working independently and I did some various kind of things, but then come sort of 2008, around about that sort of time, I decided that I liked working independently and I wanted to try and see if I could do that sustainably. So I started, I could see where the, the market was going. Um, and I knew that I needed to build a digital footprint in order to do that. And so I started a blog or started writing about it. And I started writing about general stuff like business development, marketing strategy, that sort of stuff. And I got really, really boring very, very quickly. <laughs> and I thought, well, oh, crumbs, I have to do something that I kind of really... I'm really into or I'm really interested in or something that I kind of care about or I don't like and I want to change. And I realized that actually I don't like bad service. And it frustrates me how many organizations get in the way of their people delivering good service to their customers. And it's, I've been part of those organizations and it's, it's always a constant frustration. So I started writing about that. That became my kind of groove is I wanted to investigate and understand and explore how we can do things differently to produce those better outcomes. Because ultimately, the thing I'm really interested in is how do we produce organizations that deliver better outcomes for both their customers and their people? And I started that. I started blogging about it. And back in the day, my, my wife would, would turn around and go, you know, she would go out and visit friends and they might ask her, well, where's Adrian? And she'd, be, she'd roll her eyes. She'd be like, Oh, he's blogging again. <laughs> I was like, oh. But then what a waste of a life. <laughs> I know. I know. But then I wrote a book, like a, an, an anthology, self-published anthology back in 2010. And then I started podcasting in 2011. 
when it was not cool, but now it's cool, and I'm still being put. It's like this is my eleventh or twelfth year now. Um, yeah, I being well, my first podcast was 2008. Um, and, yeah, and we actually could have an audience then without even knowing how to do it because people, if, if anybody was interested, there wasn't much out there. Um, but nowadays, I mean, it's just such a marketplace of every kind of podcast imaginable. But you, the audience, another thing, you know, the thing I've, I, um, I, I started doing it because the thing I find really interesting about it, and this is always the thing I've done with my writing, is I've always described it as my public thinking digital notebook. So I'm just really thinking out loud. And the podcast is like an extension of that. I always think my podcast is a bit like my R&D and L&D lab. So you get to talk to amazing people doing very cool things or they've written stuff or they've got great ideas. And you get to do that in public, get to learn in public, but then get to share it at the same time. So I am firmly of the mind that I... Yeah, many have been the time that I've looked back at a blog and I've used it in a book. Or I have written about something and I find myself speaking about it on stage some weeks or months later, right? It's just, it's interesting how keeping ourselves current or relevant and continually being a student helps us be relevant to other people. So um, I, I love that about you. And I, you know, I did not read your first book. I, I will be honest. I'm, I try to be candid where I can. But can you tell me a little bit about when did you decide to start writing and a little bit of the value proposition of that book? Because I did read... Uh, without a doubt, Punk CX, and I've I've read and endorsed the current book. So, um, but but the first one I is slipped by me. It's on my to read list. But no, tell no, us no, about the value fine. proposition no, no. on that one. So we we've actually done four. <gasps> oh, I've done four. Yeah, yeah. And so the first one I can see behind me is like a, it's got a black cover. It's called Rare Business, and that was really, really a bit of a self published anthology of stuff I'd written. And it was is that on your website? Uh, no, it's not on my website, oh, and it's not right. really kind of available. And it's because it's it was did it back in two thousand ten. Anyway, it's a rare art- artifact. But then the the next, I feel like um, grown up publishing uh, book was with called How to Wow, and that's was done with Pearson. There you go in the um, on the screen, and that was I learned so much through that process because um, I worked with a professional editor and had to come up with a proposal and all these sort of things, and that was brilliant. Um, but then on the back of that, I was thinking about kind of doing another one in sort of in that sort of style, you know, that sort of black ink on white paper, standard business book. And I couldn't quite find a, a sort of a groove that I wanted to sort of explore. And then I, I also felt like I didn't really want to kind of write another theory of everything, if you know what I mean. Yes. And that's that's sort of where because I was a bit like going, I feel I'm feeling slightly frustrated about where things were at. And that's sort of where the story of the punk CX came from. Because the backstory to that was fueled by I know you'll get this one, Joseph, because you talked about breweries. Um, I was in a pub with a friend of mine, Oshin, drinking Guinness one December evening in 2017, and we were talking about the experience space. And over a few too many pints, I was like going, I was frustrated about the, whilst there was so much activity and enthusiasm things, I was just frustrated at the lack of significant improvement. And I just went, I wish somebody would do something a bit more punk. Now I'm a fan of punk music. So I just sort of understood kind of what that sort of meant. I probably forgot about it afterwards. That's probably a function of too much alcohol. (laughs) 
But, but, but you put a stake in the ground that could be recovered someday. Oh, well, it kind of popped back into my head in the summer of 2018 for, for some reason. And I started to think about that a bit more. And it struck me there's something to learn from punk music and also where punk came from. Now, punk, if you know anything about punk music, it sort of exploded out of the back of progressive rock in the 1970s. Now, progressive rock was really popular, and I like some bits of it, but I'm more of a fan of punk and because the, the, the things that, got, that progressive rock got accused of being was like more interested in itself and its own musicality and virtuosity than it was in an interest in anything else. It's almost a bit like, how many notes can you play? And how many synthesizers can you play at the same sort of time? And, it's, and then punk was this uh, sort of an, an anti version of that. It's almost like anybody can do it. You don't need a PhD in music to play kind of like a tune. You can pick up drumsticks or guitar, learn how to play, and just kind of crack it out. And it was all heart and emotion. It was real kind of power, as it were. It's very, and it's really quite a human sort of like endeavor. And it struck me that the CX space was starting to exhibit some of the same characteristics as uh, of prog rock did in the 1970s. Uh, it's becoming overly codified, certified, benchmarked, frameworked, all this metric, all, all these things. And it struck me, okay, well, if that's true, then what would a punk version look like? <laughs> and so, I and still don't know how. I mean, it would have taken me a lot of Guinness to get anywhere close to that kind of thinking. But, but I, I, I think it's wonderful because you're basically stripping it down, right? And yeah. you're getting back to the emotional essence of the thing. And it's a bit contrarian. Right. If you put it all together. Um, so tell me th that inspired you to what start philosophizing in the context of all of those elements of CX and writing blogs and then booking, or were you doing speaking on this? I mean, were you helping your clients punk out their CX? Well, no, it's, this is kind of like, I think it's like a, it's the, the book in itself is like a conversation starter or a fire starter. And look, it's a bit like, it, you know, it's styled not like a regular book. It's, sort of, it's styled like a, an album. It's like, it looks like this, and it's very colorful on the inside. And rather than having chapters, it has tracks. And so like any musical album, there's very few musical albums, I would wager, that most people like from start to finish. And you tend to have two, three, maybe four tracks that are your favorites, that are the standout ones you go, oh, that's the one I like, or that's the one I always go back and play again and again and again. It's the same thing with this. This is more of a case of, here's a bunch of ideas that challenge and invite and um, encourage people to do different things and think differently. Um, as, as a in pursuit of of those better outcomes I was talking about, and so it's not a, an answer, it's not a solution, it's more of an invite, but trying to shake the tree a little bit and say, "Come on, folks, this is important." Yeah, it is a dialogue. All of your books, the two that I've read, now that I know that I'm only read fifty percent of them, <laughs> uh, the two books that I read are, I think very different and powerful. Uh, powerful in that I don't read either of these uh, cover to cover, so thank mm -hmm. God that I'm not doing it wrong. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I find spots and I, I go back and I thumb through it and it's almost like, what, where, oh, okay, now I'm gonna do the advocate thing. Uh, yeah. Or you know, then I'll thumb through it and oh, how fast would you drive? Oh, how timely for our, our theme of being on there the CX bus. Um, 
And again, it just, it, it works for me that way. And it sits on my desk and it's kind of provocative. Yeah, and it's, it, what's fascinating is like, so there's a guy, Richard Hammond, who is one of the contributors to the, the new book, Punk XL. And he runs a, a analytics company in the consumer sort of space. And he did, he, he did a review on Amazon of the... Um, um, of Punk CX, and and he said, you know, like it's one of those things. He says it's it's the sort, and he says, and he put in brackets, and Adrian will understand what I mean by this. He says it's the sort of book that you would that you would potentially dip into a read when you were sat in sat in the in the, in the laboratory, you know, contemplating the world, um, because it's that sort of dip in and dip out. You're not meant to read it from start to finish. You can. There's nothing stopping you, but it's also that sort of thing. It's like it sits there, and you can. You, it's 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 like giving you a jolt every now and now again, or you kind of a prod, or you think about different things, and then you can. He talks about giving it to members of his team and say, pick a thing out of that. Let's talk about it. Let's get in, front, in a room and let's talk about it. And get in front of a whiteboard and stuff, and then figure it out as a way of trying to solve a problem, to sort of a, as a catalyst. So I haven't really thought of it as a bathroom reader. Okay, I haven't really gotten got to that point. But thanks for expanding the options by which I could consume your material. Um, let me let me get to what's on your brain, right? You because I think you strip it down, and because you get to the passion of things, mm -hmm. uh, and because you're, I think, a little jaundiced to the notion that this kind of antiseptic programmatic. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I have colleagues who I love and admire who have sold out their businesses to big corporate entities. And it's like these corporate things that are trying to systematize consulting in the CX space. And those, it feels like corporatization at a level that I'm not really excited about. I think there's an art and passion in this. So I, what's on the mind and heart of a, of a thoughtful, passionate provocateur? Um, so I let me just um, let me relay to you a conversation that I had with a friend of mine, uh, lady, um, yesterday, and we were just talking. I hadn't caught up with her for oh, sometimes I think it was we hadn't talked in the last two years. She's been busy, I've been busy, and we were just generally talking about just work and and stuff, and and we we're talking about sort of CX and things. And I said to her, I says, look. Here's the way I think about it. I says, what's the difference between customer experience and the customer's experience? And she looked at me slightly quizzically. And I said, well, technically, only four letters and an apostrophe. But in reality, the four letters and apostrophe being T-H-E and then apostrophe S. But in reality, the difference between customer experience and the customer's experience can be a country mile. They could almost feel completely on different planets to each other. And for me, that's one of the, the biggest challenges. We talk about this industrialization of a consulting and sort of CX kind of like kind of program is like going, all of this stuff feels like it feels like it's driving a wedge between the connection between the customer and the um and and, and the organization. We're actually that we're all striving for the same thing, but sometimes we end up kind of this not stopping. And just kind of going, what is there something that we, what could we do that's going to minimize that gap? Rock so, you know, I, I know that a lot of rock does not appeal to you, but, you know, the Grateful Dead certainly would just do these 
endless uh, riffs of stuff that I think was pretty passionate and had a really crazy following. Um, I just felt like you just riffed for like the last minute and a half on a really wonderful concept, right? That, that simple distinction of perspective of a CX program and a CX, a true person's human experience and getting inside of that to be able to design from it. Hey, by the way, before we get too much in real people, I just want to thank uh, Salim, who's joined us and said, wow, an honor watching you both. He really means both of you. Let me put put you up twice. Yeah, big, uh, wow, thank you, Salim, for being there. If you have any questions to pass along to the esteemed Adrian, please uh, feel oh. free to pop those in the chat as well. Um, so that is a distinction though, right? I mean, the, the notion that we need to get inside the human experience, not just try to design optimal experiences. No, that's absolutely right. Now you've got to get the balance right, obviously, because you can't, not all brands or organizations can be all things to all people all of the time. And not everybody, it, it doesn't make sense for everybody to, to, to provide gold-plated white glove service to all of their customers if that if the if their market and their business model doesn't kind of support that then you wouldn't want to do it but so but i think it's it's understanding um kind of what it is the customer kind of like wants and needs um and then being able to sort of deliver that i mean it's like you know i talk about in the last kind of year, 18 months or so, we've seen this kind of massive rise in the demand for more empathy in the interactions that we have with, like the interactions that customers have with organizations, with brands. Now, that's understandable that it's kind of, that's kind of like blown up in this kind of time of weirdness that we're going through, um, where people are living in dealing with very different things, with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of trepidation kind of going on. However, and the sort of the pandemic has exacerbated all that. However, those concerns are not new. Customers have been talking about this idea that they want a more human experience for the longest time. There was a global research that was done by Accenture back in 2016, which said the majority of customers around the world from Japan to Brazil, to the US, to Europe, kind of all over the place, we're saying the thing that we kind of like, we're, we're bemoaning, you've got this massive investment in digital stuff, but we're bemoaning, we're, we're, all we're feeling like is that everything's becoming increasingly humanless. And the, the, the demand for empathy or the, the, the reflection on, on, on a humanless experience is, is almost like the manifestations of the same thing. They're just like, we want to connect with people when we want to connect with people. We want stuff that makes, that helps us in the moment. Just don't make it hard for us. Right. And, and sometimes we want it easy and sometimes we want to connect with people, but we want both, right? And to the degree that people can help make it easier, all the better, to the yeah. degree that... Um, people can add that humanity to an easy transaction all the better. You know, this I had the weirdest thing happen because most of the time when I go in and consult for companies, I'm looking for ways for them to elevate their customer experience. But recently I did have one of those examples that that's so in keeping with what you just spoke of earlier. They are not profitable. They are losing money and they are producing you know, a Ritz Carlton level of customer experience. Mm -hmm. And it's almost now we're into a whole agile design world where we're trying to figure out what is your customer wanting, what exceeds their expectation, but doesn't over deliver against mm -hmm. it so that you can be around for the next five and 10 years to deliver for customers, yeah. as opposed to 
being opulent in the now and gone in the tomorrow. So uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of that. Let me give you an example of something that, that I talked about uh, a while ago. And I asked somebody about it and they were like going, well, yeah, that does, just doesn't happen yet. Yes. Um, and it was this idea that, that we see, particularly in financial services, particularly do with banks, that you've got many, many banks that are trying to push their customers to digital as they pull away from high street or main street stores because those retail footprints are becoming, uh, the economics of them are, are becoming increasingly challenging. And I said to the kind of uh, people that leaves a lot of customers high and dry. There's still customers, particularly aged aged customers, that will, still want to deal with the bank, and and they don't want to have to travel kind of like so far to kind of have to deal with the bank. And I said to them, I said, I understand the economics of the real estate market and how that's challenging for banks to make those that retail branch network make sense. I said, but could, could we not do something which is akin to the whole banking whole idea, where you have a space where different financial services organizations could almost like have booths as it were, and you have a concierge service and then people can book appointments to see their kind of their, 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 their retail financial kind of like a brand. And then because we have the technology and all the security and everything else that, that, um, that we can put in place to make that make real, uh, to make it, make it make sense and, um, and real. And he was like going, I spoke to somebody who was about that, and they said, "Oh no, that would require them to collaborate and everything else, and all that sort of like stuff." And you know, and it just was a bit like, in the moment, it struck me as being as supremely selfish and not interested in your customers. Wow, well, that's a lovely. But it's starting to happen now. It's and that's kind of pro I spoke about that probably about six years ago, seven years ago. Out of necessity, it's happened now. It's not out of the, the desire to do it because of the right thing to do originally, yeah. right? where, where your spirit came from. What it really reminds me a, a lot, uh, we have uh, Lou is saying he's not getting any volume. Um, uh, Patty can check on that in the backstage. Um, I'm getting plenty of volume. I think she's probably listening in to make sure we have uh, Lou. Some, some platforms, volume's a little bit more challenging. So if you're trying us out on Facebook and you can pop over to LinkedIn or check your check your monitor. I don't want to, I don't want Lou to miss us. Um, what I wanted to say, what you reminded me a minute ago, it was, you dedicated this book to Tony Shea, or I don't know if yeah. you call it dedicated. You, 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 it was a requiem acknowledgement of Tony Shea in the book. And, you know, having worked with Tony and I talked to him probably a month and a half before he died, he had invited me out to his place. It was really, I can't tell you how hard this is because, you know, I wrote a book, about his company, work closely with him. Um, we're just getting some messages that most people are fine with volume. Um, so it just got, you know, just so sad what happened to him. But one of the things that Tony taught me um, was if someone can't be served by you, refer them to someone else. And he literally encouraged his contact center, which is called the customer loyalty team. Yeah. He encouraged them. And if we don't have it to research whether or not shoes.com or whatever the competitor was if they have it and if he could to the degree he could see into their inventory right um to go ahead and send them over there and let them know and give them the skew and make it easy for them to get their needs met because the next time they don't go there as their starting point they come to you as yeah. their starting point and i think that spirit of collegiality that sense of it's not about me it's about the customer 
I mean, what wisdom to give the banking industry, whether they were ready for it or not? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes kind of people, like, as you as you rightly say, you know, whether they're ready for it, you know, it's like that old saying is that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And speaking of drinking, uh, speaking of drinking, let's go to the lighter side of this for just a minute. Um, okay. I, this is my uh, section of trivia to the to the guests. Now, the way this works, if you haven't joined us on the live stream before, Adrian is safe no matter what he does. If he gets them all wrong, I'm paying $5 per wrong answer to a charity of my choice. Uh, if he gets them all right, I'll talk about this. If he gets them all right, I'll pay $25 to a charity of his choice. If um, if he gets half and half, I'll pay them. I, here's the way it goes down. If he, Whatever he gets more of, right or wrong, I'm going to pay $5 for that. So if you get three wrong, 15 bucks. All right. Let me follow this. Here we go. All punk rock questions, none of which I think are unfair. I mean, I had James Godkins on, and I asked him the hardest possible uh, rock star questions I could. And, and uh, so, But I'm being nice to you, I think. Oh, thank you. Um, let's start here. Paul Cook and Steve Jones were members of which 70s punk band? I'll give you the options. Ramones, Sex Pistols, The Clash, or Stiff Little Fingers? Uh, Steve, what was it, the two names? Paul, Cook, Paul Cook and Steve Jones. Uh, that would be the, the Pistols, I think. Ooh, the Clash, I think. Oh, crumbs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, pretty I just, sure. Uh, I'm going to – I checked okay. all these before, but okay. you're the expert. So I'm starting to get a little freaked on this. All right, here we go. Who replaced Tommy Ramone as the drummer for the Ramones in 78? C.J. Ramone, Richie Ramone, uh, D. Dave Ramone, or Marky Ramone? Uh, D. Dave Ramone? Marky Ramone. Right now, I'm, I'm going to have to be – I'm leaning toward – you're going to have to really pull this out, or I'm going to have to pay on the get them all wrong side. Um, all right, here we go. Which album by The Clash featured the song English Civil War? I'm trying to throw these at your country – uh, the options were The Clash, Give Them Enough Rope, London Calling, or Combat Rock. Which album I'm by thinking, The Clash? I'm thinking London Calling. Thank God. All right, you broke the streak. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, two more, right? Yeah, two more. Which of these Dead Kennedys albums was released after the band split up? And I'll give you a hint. It's related to CX. The the albums were Frank and Christ. Don't really see the CX connection there, but maybe you will. <laughs> Fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. There's a possibility. Plastic surgery disasters. That's also a possible CX one. Or give me convenience or give me death. Well, it's the latter, of course. There you go. Give me convenience or I give me death. I must say a big shout out to Fresh Fruit uh, and Rotting Vegetables because that's a tremendous, tremendous album. I will have to go back and re-listen to it. Last question. This will be the one that either puts you over the top and I'm paying for the right answers or puts you under the top. We'll call it that way. Uh, and I'm paying for the wrong answers. So either way, it's 15 bucks for me. Here we go. Captain Sensible is more commonly associated with which British punk rock band? Sham 69, The Damned, UK Sub, or The... Huh? The Damned. All right, I'll leave you with that one. I'll give you that one. 
That was a tough call. I, All right. I, I, you know, he actually lives in this town that I live in. Well, that was a that was I shouldn't even given you the question. All right, finally, I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to leave these two questions for the audience. They can weigh in them on the show now if you want. If you get a first right answer to either of these questions, then I will uh, send you out one a copy of my books. I just heard from Adrian he was going to match, so I'll send him a copy of, of Punk CX uh, XL rather. Thanks to Adrian as well. So here are the two questions for the audience. Related to punk rock, punk rock has strong roots in three musical traditions. Name any of them. Uh, any of the three musical traditions. I think Adrian kind of gave a little of a hint earlier. And then the second question for uh, a copy of one of my books and a copy of Punk XL is what were the two ingredients essential to achieve the spiky hair look of many punk rockers? All right, the two must-have ingredients. Enough of that. Back to the topic of the customer experience element of your punk world. Um, yeah. All right, Punk XL is a step up, and it, it relies on friends of yours who've added to the dialogue and conversation. Mm -hmm. It also is focused on leadership. So let's talk about, it's one thing to think about CX from a more passionate, stripped-down uh, emotion, emotive version. It's another thing to lead a CX initiative. So take me for the next five or so minutes down a pathway of how do you actually get to deliver a punky CX experience if you're a leader of an organization? So, so this one was about, it was an invite to do better work, different thinkings to challenge norms and things. Now that was that was published in 2019, and then it sort of came into its own in 2020 when the sort of the pandemic hit and everybody was forced to one switch to digital, get back to basics, all that type of stuff. But over the course of the last sort of all 18 months, two years or so, I've just sort of been watching all these different things that have been going on. And it struck me and it's, it's that it's no longer sufficient to talk about just customer experience. There's like a holistic dimension to this because your employee experience is connected to your customer experience your stakeholder experience i.e the impact you have on the the world around you is 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 um influences your the, your customer's experience but also the kind of the experience that leaders have in, in in operating these companies or guiding these companies is really important so it, it struck me that we almost need to go beyond just thinking about customer experience and think about things more holistically and that's why we put together this thing, Punk XL, because XL stands for experienced leadership. Now, it's not just about experience in terms of the individual leader. It's about a higher level that includes the individual because it's like we talk about brand leadership, we talk about technological leadership, we talk about market leadership, but we don't talk about experience leadership and what that means. And so the book is an exploration about what that means at different levels. So it has... It looks at the individual level. It looks at sort of, you know, what sort of team you have and your employee experience. It looks at the organization level about how you operate, how you do things, how you structure things. It looks at the customer level. And then it goes bebeyond that and looks at the, um, and considers, and asks you to consider what is your impact on the world, as it were, around you. So, so to try to put this kind of holistic sort of picture. Now, there is no answer to this because the, the book is firmly um, 
almost like musing on, I think we need to start talking about this, recognize that this is a thing and start that conversation. Well, you know, I've given this book away to a couple of colleagues, most of whom have taken on roles like chief experience officer or director of customer experience, and they had come from ops or they've come from marketing and they're looking at me like, where do I start? Like, I don't even know how to think about the significance of what seems to be in front of me. And it gets to that other thing that I often say is everything is customer experience, right? I mean, what isn't? Um, So how do I, how do I get a territory that's manageable um, and navigable in an organization? Yeah. And so I think it is, it's that it's, it's a good starter because it'll kind of, it'll make you think about things that you might not have thought about before about how do you, what sort of person you need to be to lead the organization or to lead your team to create the experience that, that, that your employees need to have or you want your employees to have that will then facilitate the experience that your customers can have. How do you set them up? How do you kind of like, how do you kind of like go and find things out? How do you solve problems? Um, how do you, I don't know, um, how do you make sure that your, that your experience is, is, is inclusive um, and covers from different, different, different perspectives. I love the diversity components. I think it's becoming far more relevant now, not only diversity from a standpoint of diverse customer segments, but really having a diverse team to meet the diverse needs of your customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really becoming, I think, much more top of mind in the way we think about customers. And, and you know, it's, it's actually what's fascinating. Somebody asked me the most of the, 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 I've got 12 collaborators from people from all around the world. I mean, it could be, they are their own sort of like thought leaders in their own sort of space to um, they run a, a they've founded and run a community of businesses to their there's a chief customer officer of a major uh, mobile telecoms uh, company to the chief marketing officer of a, a, a massive technology company. So this, the, the, the contributors are, are diverse. But also what's really interesting, which I really, I'm really proud of, is that of the 12, the majority of the 12 contributors and people I've collaborated with are, are women. And I wanted to really promote sort of female voices and female perspectives. Um, and because the experience space is dominated by people like you and I. And I wanted to open up the floor to give that, per, you know, that you know that that perspective because I get to learn in the process, and it's been fabulous working with my band. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Playing your hits, uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I think CX is a lot about an emotive side to understanding, right? It's about building connections with customers that are emotional. Um, obviously there's tactical elements of that. We have to make sure we make all the cognitive thoughts about a brand relevant as well. But, but it is intriguing to think how male dominated some of the consultative firms have been in a space that has a lot of emotionality to it when men are not as traditionally thought of as having the depth of emotional understanding. Uh, and again, there's exceptions to all of these stereotypes, of but 
but I, I do think it's it's wonderful that we're just seeing a rounding out of some of those wrongs of the of the way the field was done. I think I like the book. I wrote of this in in the endorsement, my endorsement. I said, "Whoa, mind blown!" Like that's <laughs> the way I always talk, right there. Um, Punk XL is non-conformingly brilliant. Strap in for a wild and transformative ride, and say goodbye to your conventional customer experience mindset. Um, I actually think I got that one right. Uh, there you go. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I wanted to just, um, which will give you the, the, I guess, people a flavor of what this is about. Please. I know we talked about it slightly before. There's a part in the book, and it is a quote from Woody Guthrie. And it's, Woody Guthrie was, was asked a question about what the role of folk music was in protest. And he said, the role of folk music in protest is to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. And I put that in the book. You can see it kind of here. Because I think that equally applies to people in the sort of experience sort of space. Now, here's the kind of the, the question. Are you the disturbed or are you the comfortable? And, and, and you have to understand where you're at because actually we need difference. We need people to, to want to, to do different things if we're going to want, if we want different results. And so this book will not be comfortable reading for many people, but in it is a challenge to step up and do better and be better because the world needs us. The world needs all of us. And our customers are waiting. Well, and I think there are two things to Woody Guthrie's commentary, right? And one that you've highlighted in the context of your book. And, and for me, one is that we need to fix the pain points in broken customer experiences, which is that comfort the disturbed, if you will, at some level. And I think we also have to not think inside of a box of just iterating the same old customer experience over and over again, <laughs> which is, I think, to disturb the comfortableness of the thing. So mm -hmm. in the balance of that, knowing when to do each is what I think is mastery, right? You know, if you, one of the chess masters once said, you know, it's not knowing the rules, it's knowing when to break them, right? It's yeah. the rules are easy and the strategies are predictable, but there are times when you should break them. And if you break them, you win. If you don't, if, if you don't, you continue to play the same game. So to me, I think there's something brilliant in that. And Woody Guthrie always brings me up. I had as a guest on the show, uh, Dickie Smothers, who I did a TED Talk with. And Dickie Smothers, one of the Smothers brothers, very irreverent television in the U.S. in the 60s and challenged the status quo and had Woody on and had big scandal with Woody doing the big money or whatever it was that he, uh, you know, he sang on the show. And I think in the test of time, because that show got canceled because of its irreverence to, I think it was Lyndon Bain Johnson at the time. Perfect. In the test of time, people have looked back and said, wow, you know, that was broadcast integrity. It was people who stood up for, you know, a, a message uh, yeah. and stayed on message. And I think that there's something about this whole punk thing that forces us to, to look at people who were troubled and anguished a lot in, Britain with the economic realities, right? That stood up uh, and spoke out. And yeah, we all yeah. need to be thinking, are we those people or not? Well, yeah, and it's like, it doesn't necessarily need rough times to for to stand up because there's always things that need, a, that need to be attended to. 
But I think right now qualifies as a rough time, Adrian. I don't know about you. Oh, but no, I think it falls in the category. We could we could call this a, a cataclysmic uh, pivotal moment. Well, hey, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying normal times. I'm going to hasten to add. But like assuming <laughs> assuming the pandemic kind of recedes and we go back to some sort of stability of sorts, and everything feels like it's plain sailing. It's like going well. Actually, just because people don't speak up doesn't mean say there's nothing to fix. Yeah, I have three minutes and I want people to know how they can get a hold of you, what you bring to the table, obviously your ideational space, the thought provoking space, the different take on CX, all that's been articulated well today. But do I bring you in as a workshop uh, facilitator? Do I bring you in as a keynoter? Do I bring you in because I'm starting to, you know, if I'm a mid-sized company, Fortune, you know, in the US Fortune 500 company, so the uh, I work in different kind of ways. I mean, all of this, all of the above. I mean, you can say that I kind of do that. Uh, I will do. I'll run workshops. I'll do keynotes. But I also kind of work with kind of firms um, on an advisory basis. So I end up getting. They have a particular problem. They set up a project team, and I end up getting not embedded as a sort of a an advisor, an ongoing advisor into those project teams to help kind of like figure out where they need to kind of figure out where they are, figure out where they need to go and help them kind of steer and guide along, uh, along the way. So those are sort of the three broad kind of ways that I, that, that I work you know, with, with people. And in all cases, they can find you at adrianswinsco.com as we've been broadcasting it on the bottom of this yes. uh, throughout the show. Um, what's, what's up ahead? I mean, it, it's an invariable question and then I'm gonna ask you for your driving tip something we should all be thinking about on our road. But what's up ahead in your journey? And then how do you help all of us with a quick tip on how to move our journey forward if we're trying to improve the lot of the customer's, apostrophe yes, experience? Um, so what's up ahead? Well, um, well, crumbs, we've got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. I'm working with some really, really nice kind of like uh, brands. I mean, I get... I get choked up. Some of the people I get to work with and some of the work I get to, uh, to do, I'm, I'm very privileged. I get to do work that I like with people that I, that I really like, which is a, a, a complete honor. Um, I'm Last year feels like it's just going, and I've, so I've written the book and, and now we're going to start to just like talk about it a little bit more. So, and I think we might be moving this year. So I think we're not going to plan any kind of big new kind of projects. Um, so it's more of a case of like more of the same, um, and just kind of de develop and explore and research some of the kind of themes and concepts that I've been kind of thinking about over the last kind of like six months or so. But in terms of the tip, the thing I would like people to do is on the assumption that many of your leaders, many of your listeners rather, and your, and your, your viewers are going to be in managerial, supervisory leadership sort of positions, let's say, I would say to them, Go and find the person that is the one person or a person that 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 is serving your customers day in and day out. They might be kind of like I don't know that you just don't matter. and just go and ask them how was your day and what can I do to make your life easier? Wow, yeah, really. I mean, all those people who really are carrying the water on customer experience. It's really important to give them some water too, because often they're the last to drink, and and they can tell you where where to mine for gold. Truly, I think. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing you thing, the other thing, one, one final thing okay. is if you want some real insight about how things work and then the, the disparity that exists between executive and kind of frontline, then go and watch kind of archived uh, episodes of Undercover Boss because it's mind blowing and it's that stuff still exists. Kind of like the disparity and kind of like understanding and 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 in terms of what goes on in kind of companies, but it's like uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen an episode in a long time, and I think we. I had a company once where the CEO was approached as to you know whether he wanted to be on the undercover boss or not, and we were all talking about you know there's some good PR here, but man, what we might uncover on television is more. We better we better try to work this out before they have the cameras rolling. So, yeah, exactly. Adrian, it is an honor. You said mind blown. That's exactly the words I use. With regard to Punk XL, I encourage you to read the book. Adrian would tell you that he's not about trying to sell books. Books are a part of his journey. In fact, the proceeds of Punk XL are being donated to charity. So God bless him um, and thank him for who all he's done for his time today on the show. Please visit him at adrianswinsco.com. We'll be sending uh, copies of the book to the people who answer our trivia questions, which again, just quickly tell me the, uh, you know, punk rock has strong roots in three musical traditions. Give me any one of them. First one, give me an accurate one. It's going to get a copy of one of my books as well, well as Punk XL. And the second question is, what were the two ingredients essential to achieve the spiky hair look that many punk rockers had? Um, please just answer that question first with the right answer. Uh, we'll receive a copy of that book. And uh, again, thank you. Uh, we heard uh, from Muhammad, who said that was a wonderful XL discussion. I do deeply appreciate that, Muhammad. And for all of you who are watching now, I'm grateful for the time. If you find value in this and you know somebody who is trying to uh, punk up their CX and increase their leadership of CX in ways that disrupt the status quo but comfort those who have had too much disruption maybe let's let's uh, bring them to this podcast so they can benefit from the wisdom of adrian we're doing this uh once a month we say though i have so many guests lined up that i'm going to try to do it a little more frequently than that maybe every couple of weeks we were on a cadence of doing it every week. It was just crazy. Lots of time involved in, in lining up guests and getting it done. So we're, we're not probably going to be able to keep the once a week schedule that we had done once uh, a long time ago, but we are shooting for at least once a month and certainly maybe as much as twice per uh, month if we can pull that off. So thank you for your, your viewership today. May you go out and change the world as we drive along in the CX bus to take you to locations that are hopefully both informative and locations that uh, hopefully are fun as well. <laughs> <laughs>